The last days began with the day of Pentecost. We've been in the last days since Pentecost, and that's why the Bible teaches the imminent return. Jesus could come at any moment. Now, I believe we're in the last of the last days, but the Bible also speaks of the latter days, prophecies that are very unique to the very end of time, and that's what he's speaking about here. The latter times, he's going to carry it all the way to the end of time. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a study of the book of Daniel and have moved into chapter 2 where King Nebuchadnezzar is startled by a dream he's had. We've seen that none of the king's magicians or sorcerers were able to both interpret the dream and without any help from the king actually say what the dream was. But Daniel, the young man who was part of the deportation from Judah and who serves in Nebuchadnezzar's court, was indeed able to tell the king what his dream consisted of. As we pick up today, we'll begin a look at that dream and what its significance was to Nebuchadnezzar as well as to us. Would you take the Word of God this morning and turn to Daniel chapter 2? If you've recently joined us, we're working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through this great prophet. And our subject this morning is very intriguing and a serious subject because it concerns God's plan for the nations. In our passage, God gives us an outline of the nations of the world beginning during the time of the prophet Daniel going all the way until the second coming of the Messiah. And He is giving us His outline so that we can understand what His plans are for the future and how it should influence our lives today. Now, I would never set a date. Jesus explicitly said, but of that day and hour, no one knows. On the other hand, while I would never set a date, and I think to do so would to be to border on heresy, nonetheless, I also recognize what Paul told the church at Thessalonica. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, that that day should take you by surprise. So God has revealed much for His church to see. And I believe that there are many graphic signs that God is fulfilling even in our lives that is reminding us that the coming of Messiah again is very, very close. Now, sometimes when we speak of the second coming, just like when we speak of the first coming, we use those terms very loosely. For instance, sometimes in the term the first coming of Christ, we're really speaking of a whole program of events, His birth, His childhood, His three-year public ministry, His death his burial, his resurrection, his 40-day walk, 40 walk on the earth that led to his ascension into heaven. And sometimes when Christians speak of the second coming, they do so likewise in a very non-technical way. They, they use that term to include really the second coming program, beginning with the rapture of the church, the coming tribulation period, and Christ's physical actual return to the Mount of Olives when he will judge the living and the dead. Now Paul tells us, that there is a mystery about the return of Jesus from heaven. Let me read to you what he said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is to say, not everyone is going to die before Jesus comes again. But we will be changed. 
Now, most good translations are trying to do a single word correspondence with the original language, Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic, and to put it into the receptor language. And the Greek word for mystery is mysterion, and it gives us our word mystery. The challenge, though, is I suppose there's not a single English word that captures its meaning. Because when the Bible speaks in the New Testament of a mystery, it's not speaking of something that is unknowable. It's actually describing something that was once hidden and later has been revealed. And it's repeatedly used that way in the Pauline epistles. The resurrection of the dead was plainly taught in the Old Testament. But what was not knowable completely. It was there in kernel form, and that's why it's a mystery. It was there, but it needed to be uncovered. What was not clearly known to those believers in the Old Testament was the rapture of the church. That not all believers would die, but in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, He will come again to catch up His people. The translation. Now, it's seen in passages like with Enoch who doesn't experience physical death. He's caught up. It begins the days of Noah that become worse and worse and worse. And it comes to a worldwide judgment. And then he walks into a brand new world. Likewise, the church is going to be caught up. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse like the world has never seen it. It will culminate with the literal, physical, actual second coming of Jesus from heaven. And we will go into a brand new world. Now, Daniel speaks much of the second coming of Christ. And what he is going to say is going to be very helpful. Understand, there has never, ever, ever been a prophecy that is needed to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church. That's why as you read the New Testament, it is clear that they lived with a sense of imminency, that Jesus could come today, that His coming is near, that it could be before this sermon is over. But there are all kinds of prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the second coming and always have been. But as we see prophecy being fulfilled for the second coming in our lifetime, then we know that the rapture that precedes the physical second coming of Jesus to the earth is that much closer. Let me give you a chart here that gives us some perspective from Daniel's point of view. What did he know? Well, at least five major events. He's going to describe for us in this chapter and two others the rise of the Gentile world powers. God is going to reveal that to him very clearly. He's going to give his prophetic outline for the nations. He is going to tell us in the ninth chapter that the city of Jerusalem, after it is destroyed, is going to be rebuilt. And that's a firm date in secular history, and it's an important date because it's going to set the clock running that will bring about the first coming of Messiah to the very day, Palm Sunday, when he sets foot in Jerusalem and presents himself to Israel as her king. Then there is a gap of time. He doesn't know what it is about, but he is going to speak to it. He's going to address it. And then there is this coming time that he will speak of in the 12th chapter, the great tribulation period. And throughout the book, he will speak of Messiah's kingdom. The Old Testament taught the concept of a kingdom. The length of the kingdom, that it is a thousand years, is revealed in the New Testament. But let's take a look at this chart now from God's point of view. God fills in details for us because we have the revelation. But what is so sad is that most Christians today don't know as much as Daniel knew. And Daniel had a limited amount of prophecy. We have the whole of Scripture. 
And we should know what God says about His prophetic program. Why? Because in virtually every passage in the Bible, when God speaks of the return of His Son from heaven, there's an exhortation as to what we should do or how we should live or how we should behave. So, God speaks of the rise of the Gentile world powers, Jerusalem being rebuilt. But this gap of time, very clearly in the Bible, is the building of the church. The church did not exist in the Old Testament. Jesus said, I will, future, build my church. The church, the Bible very clearly delineates, begins on the day of Pentecost. And He is building His church. And when the last person in the bride of Christ becomes a part of that church, the rapture, the catching up is going to take place. The time of Jacob's trouble, as Jeremiah the prophet terms it, Jesus calls it the great tribulation, is going to begin to unfold, and that will culminate with the battle of Armageddon by which Jesus will come at His second coming, and He will literally rule and reign for a thousand years. I believe one of the problems in the church today is we have lost our love for the return of Christ, and it is affecting and impacting the way many of God's people are living. And our forefathers in early America had a different view. You go into the Library of Congress, and there on the wall it says, one God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves. They had it right. They knew that history was moving towards the return of Jesus from heaven. And so here, the title of this morning's sermon is called Dreams That Come True because God unfolds His plan, His dream for the Gentile nations of the world. One of my professors in seminary, Dr. Dwight Pentecost, called this chapter of Scripture the ABCs of Bible prophecy. And he was right on because this chapter is a fundamental chapter to understanding God's dealings with men. And if you understand this chapter of Scripture, it will help you to understand the revelation. And that's why I told you the key to understanding revelation is to get a basic grasp of the book of Daniel. And if you miss today, he's going to repeat himself two other times so that you can't miss it before we're done. But I think you could equally call this chapter the XYZ of Bible prophecy because he begins with a time frame starting in Daniel's day, and he goes all the way to the end to the second coming of the Messiah. I've told you before that the most attacked book in the Bible next to Genesis is the book of Daniel. And the reason the critics love to attack Daniel is because they think he knew too much. They have trouble in their fallen minds because a natural man, the Bible says, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. If you're not born again, very often you will have difficulty appreciating what the Word of God says. And so they have trouble with Daniel because he pre-writes the future and he does it with great specificity. The most attacked book in all the Bible is Genesis. And the most attacked verse within all the Bible is Genesis 1.1. It's eight words in Hebrew. Barashit bara Elohim. In the beginning created God et hashemeim viet ha'aretz. The heavens and the earth. Eight words in Hebrew. Ten words in our English Bible. If you can believe Genesis 1.1, you can believe anything else. God put the key in the front door. You want to know where a man stands and whether you should listen to him or not as a pastor? Find out what he believes about Genesis 
If he ascribes to theistic evolution, he is very, very foolish and more than likely lost. An apologetics book came out on a mainline Christian press a few years ago, and this teacher teaches theistic evolution. I'm not saying he's not a Christian, but I'm saying what he has done is a great disservice to the church. If you can't believe the first verse of the Bible, the foundation, then you can't believe the rest. Ask any pastor, what do you think about the first 11 chapters of Genesis? If he tells you all they're not actual history, they're just a parable to teach us a spiritual truth, then you know you shouldn't listen to him. Look, if you can believe the first book, you can believe the rest of it. And there is a supernatural dimension to the prophet Daniel. You say, wouldn't it be nice if we had an authority who could definitively say to all these liberals that Daniel is not just some pseudonym, not some phony person that they give a title to a book to, but a real actual historical person who wrote the future. Wouldn't it be nice if we had such authority who could definitively say that? Well, we do. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ in the Olivet Discourse. He referred to Daniel, not as Daniel the historian, but in Matthew 24, 15, he calls him Daniel the prophet. And so your argument is not with me. Ultimately, it is with Jesus Christ. You have to say to the Lord Jesus, you are a liar. What you said about Daniel is untrue because I'm smarter than you. And I hope you don't want to blaspheme the living God in that way. Now, let me remind you of the context. The first two chapters remind us that Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And more is said about this particular pagan king than any other lost king in all of the Bible. He was a wicked despot, a high-handed king. He conquers the city of Jerusalem as General Nebuchadnezzar. His father, Nebuchadnezzar, is king. But while the city is under siege, his father dies. So he works the deal out. He puts a puppet king in the place of the reigning king. His name is Zedekiah. He plucks the man's eyes out ultimately before he burns or murders his own sons. He's an awful, awful, awful man. And he goes back and to Babylon and he takes with him Daniel along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, three of his friends. And so when God gives a summary of this king's life, he says this in Daniel 5, because of the grandeur which he, God, bestowed on him, Nebuchadnezzar, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. And so Nebuchadnezzar is very, very important because he brings about a change in Israel's history. Up until this time, Israel had been under a theocracy where God personally ruled the nation. But it changes when you come to King Nebuchadnezzar. And that change will be underscored in three visions, chapter 2, chapter 7, and verse chapter 8. We saw that 1 through 6 are largely historical with a little bit of prophecy. We're in that little bit of prophecy today. 7 through 12 is almost all prophecy, the most challenging part of the book. And today will be challenging for some of you, and you've got to pay attention. You've got to gird up your loins for action. You've got to get your mind set and pay attention. But it's going to get much more difficult. 
But it is understandable because God gave Scripture to understand. And if we will cry out to Him and ask Him for His help and illumination, He will give it. But Nebuchadnezzar begins a time known as the times of the Gentiles, where the Gentile nations begin to rule and they begin to oppress the people of Israel. You wonder why there have been so many anti-Semites all these centuries? It's because we are in the time of the Gentiles. Yes, the Jewish people in 1948 became a nation, but they are still oppressed by the Gentile nations of the world, and the United Nations will not even recognize their right to sovereignly rule over the city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, is a prophecy that Zechariah the prophet mentions. And so God is at work. God is ruling. Jeremiah the prophet spoke of this day. Jeremiah, remember, lived right before Daniel. He's a pre-exilic prophet. Daniel lives during the time of the exile. And we're going to find Daniel reading the prophet Jeremiah. Some of the very words we're going to read. Jeremiah 25, 8, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. Verse 6 of the 27th chapter. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also wild animals of the field to serve him. So Daniel, who lives after Jeremiah, we will find him reading Jeremiah in the ninth chapter. And he's going to read some of these very verses. And he's going to understand that Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant, not because he loves the living God, but because he is a tool in the hand of a sovereign God. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's building a mighty kingdom for himself. But in reality, as Daniel will reveal, he is building a school in which to discipline God's people for 70 years because of their disobedience. Now, if you were here last time, we dealt with the dream and its consequences. Today, we want to focus on the dream and its contents. If you're new, there's a note-taking outline. Most of the main points will be here on the slides. The sub-points will not, so pay attention. So first, let's think about the substance of the king's dream. If you remember last time, when chapter 2 opens, Nebuchadnezzar cannot sleep. It speaks of dreams, plural, but then it speaks of the dream. So he has the same dream over and over and over again. And he has divine insomnia. All of us at one time or another can't sleep. I woke up last night at 2.30. I couldn't sleep. I tried to go to sleep. I'm still awake. Thank God. I'll pass out when it's all over. But you heard about the woman who called her a pastor. Pastor, I'm having trouble sleeping. He said, you want me to pray for you? No, I want you to preach to me. <laughs> Now, I hope that's not the laughter of identification this morning. So here's a man, and he calls all the wise men of the kingdom, and he said, I have a dream. Tell me what it means. Oh, no problem, king. Tell us your dream. And they say, he says, just so I know you're on the level and you're not blowing smoke in my face, you tell me the dream first. And then tell me the interpretation. And of course, these men cannot do that. They are false prophets. And so he orders all of these people to be executed. But before the king's command can be carried out, God reveals the content and the interpretation of the dream to Daniel. And he gives all the credit to God for it. 
And what God shows Daniel really forms the backbone of biblical prophecy concerning the rise and fall of the Gentile nations. It begins with Nebuchadnezzar, the time of the Gentiles, and it goes all the way through the second coming of the Messiah. Here in chapter 2 and verse 28, we are told this, however, Daniel tells the king, however, there is a God in heaven, I can't reveal it, but there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. Underscore that phrase, in the latter days. The Bible speaks of the last days in the New Testament, and it also uses this identical phrase, the latter days in the New Testament. Two distinct times. The last days began with the day of Pentecost. We've been in the last days since Pentecost, and that's why the Bible teaches the imminent return. Jesus could come at any moment. Now, I believe we're in the last of the last days, but the Bible also speaks of the latter days, prophecies that are very unique to the very end of time, and that's what he's speaking about here. The latter times, he's going to carry it all the way to the end of time. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed, as for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place. Here it is in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. Now, with those general observations, let's dig in. Let's start with the details of the image. The details of the image. Look now, if you will, at verse 31. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large, and of extraordinary splendor was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue, this statue is a man made of various metals from head to toe. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, there are several truths that we want to note about this statue. First, it was a great statue. Now, how large it was, we are not told. It's just great. Maybe it mimics the one that is in chapter 3, this huge colossal statue that he will build. Maybe he tries to mimic the one he saw in his dream. It's a gigantic figure that we'll study next time. But in addition, it has a dazzling luster to it. It is described here as being of extraordinary splendor. And just with those words out of Daniel's mouth, the king knows that he knows. He knows his dream. And because he knows his dream and he had told it to no one, he knows that what he is about to say is going to be reliable. You can see a picture here of it. First, there's the head of gold. Then there's the breast of silver. And then there is the middle portion, the thighs that are of bronze, and the legs of iron, and then the feet of iron and of clay. Now, when you look at this vision, you might think that there are five Gentile nations that are in view. And that's the way we might initially try to count it. But if you study it very carefully and you put it together with this vision repeated in different forms in the 7th and in the 8th chapter, you would discover that there are four nations that are in view. The head is made of fine gold, the breast and the arms of silver, the belly and the thighs of brass, the legs of iron and the feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So the last two parts are really one empire, as we will see, what we might call Rome 1 and Rome 2. And so Daniel, by divine illumination, 
is given this vision, and he describes the details of the image. Also now, beginning in verse 34, think about the destruction, the destruction of the image. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And so that was the dream disclosed by Daniel. And the king would have thought, yes, that is my dream, Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar hears of this poly metallic statue of sorts that he had dreamed about, but he's confounded. And what is especially confounding to him, and no doubt what woke him up at night, was this stone that rolled and rolled and rolled, a stone cut out without human hands, a stone that hits the feet of iron and clay and destroys the entire image. And then that stone becomes a great mountain that fills the entire earth. Now, that's the substance of the dream. Second, let's think about the significance of the king's dream. What's the significance of this dream? Now, I want us to understand the meaning of this mighty metallic man. And before we look at the interpretation, we might ask an important question. Why would God at this time in human history reveal a prophecy like this one that to Daniel and for his people who are going to read, of course, his writing. Two reasons. First, God is setting Israel on notice that he has done with them as a nation, as a theocracy. He's not finished with them, but he is done ruling directly over them, that they are going to be under Gentile oppression. But secondly, he wants to underscore, because he is a promise-keeping God, and he made some unconditional promises to Abraham and reaffirmed them to Isaac and to Jacob, that he has not abandoned Israel. Now, if you remember Israel, time and time and time again, refused to listen to God's prophets. They killed them one after another. They came as men of God and they invited them to turn from their idolatry and their wickedness. But in essence, they said, like so many of us, we don't want you to rule over us. We don't want you to be our king. And Jesus told a very parable in the New Testament explaining Israel's time in that way. And so a time began known as the time of the Gentiles. You can see it pictured here. In 605 BC, the Babylonian captivity comes with Nebuchadnezzar. Up until that time, Israel is supreme. They are center stage out of all the nations of the earth. But when Nebuchadnezzar comes, the Gentile powers begin to take over. And this period of time is designated by Jesus as the time of the Gentiles in Luke 21, 24. But there's coming a time, as this vision will tell us this morning, and other passages in the Word of God, when Israel will be restored. It will happen at the second coming. In fact, it will begin to unfold during the time of the Great Tribulation. But at the second coming, Israel will become center stage, and Messiah will rule as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 
and requesting program DAN3 entitled Dreams Do Come True. Don't forget to join us again tomorrow as we continue our study in Daniel and search the scriptures.